Psalm 16. <clears throat> A Psalm of David. Preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. O my soul, you have said to the Lord, you are my Lord. My goodness is nothing apart from you. As for the saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Their sorrows shall be multiplied who hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood I will not offer, nor take up their names on my lips. O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Can we say amen? Amen. Our Lord, this band of people is gathered together here to seek you. We are asking that the outcome for each of us will, that, will be that we will know that we have been in your full presence, that you have been here as our guide, as our shepherd, as our counselor, as the one strengthening us, that we may walk in this environment, this hostile environment, that we may walk in this hostile environment with an outcome that brings glory to you for our deliverance and for your glory. And may all praise be yours as an outcome. We ask this of you, Good Shepherd Jesus. Amen. This morning we will be abiding in uh, the Holy Spirit's letter to the Romans. Paul, his personal secretary, penning it. But what we are settling down into is the middle of Paul's laying out the basic format of how people are brought into the kingdom, how we find a welcome as we are all left to ourselves, fallen, sinful, 
rebellious, dead to God and our own spirits. And if we hear the voice, our tendency left to ourselves is to plug our ears. We don't want to hear the voice of God. We don't want to see God. We don't want to. But the God who is more loyal to us than we are to ourselves seeks us out, us dumb sheep. There's a reason why in the Bible we are compared to sheep. The dumbest, the dumbest, the dumbest of all the livestock, the most foolish of all the livestock, and that's what we are consistently compared to. And he brings us home on his shoulders rejoicing. He is rejoicing. He is rejoicing. Our God loves us so much. He seeks us out. Ladies and gentlemen, this is something we need to hear over and over and over. I don't care how deep you are, how long your walk with God is. You need to know what your God is like in his aggressive, aggressive, aggressive love for us. Mercy. And I know I'm repeating myself, but guess what? I'm going to keep repeating. Mercy. Undeserved favor. Mercy is not giving us what we deserve. Grace is giving us what we don't deserve. Those are the two foundations of our if you if you know God as your redeemer, those are the two principal descriptive terms: mercy, grace, and he gives us a glad welcome. What Satan wants you to believe as a redeemed, you know you're redeemed. I know I've been brought into the, but Satan wants you to think, oh man, God really regrets that decision. He's going, oh man, look at that. I, I welcome this guy, Mark, into my kingdom. And uh, uh. No. God stands over us. And what does the scripture say? He savors. This, the aroma of that his redeeming work does in us. And Lucifer and his companions are standing back and they are just so annoyed that God has redeemed us creatures of dust. He is magnifying himself. He's taking what the angels would have said, you got to be kidding me. He's taking us into his welcoming presence. And we will experience kingdom glory in that day to come that we don't even have the frame of reference here and now to get. That's what he's doing. And in Romans, what the Holy Spirit is laying out, our number one sin as members of the human race before God is that we stand righteously condemned before him, and he solved that problem. God the Son became flesh and dwelt among us, just as our brother earlier is talking about our Lord. How can Jesus be both? fully God and fully man. Well, that is exactly what the Scripture declares. The Nicene Creed lays it out accurately, biblically loyal terminology. He 
Jesus of Nazareth is true God, of true God. He's fully God. True man of true man. Fully man. Joined together in one person. He is not, and I know I'm repeating myself, get over it. He is not half man, half God. He is fully God. Fully man. He is worthy of all worship. Fully God. Fully man. Joined together in one person. He drew all of his humanity from Mary, not because she was perfect, but because God guarded us from her fallen nature. Now, the Bible says, in Adam all die. So there's two views here, okay? We're getting into the theology. I'm stealing some of your stuff here. Uh, we're getting to... The Bible says, in Adam all die. Does the fallen nature come to us from the male father? That's one possibility. The other is God simply protected us from the fallen nature of Mary as he drew our humanity from her. But we are, Jesus is, as we, Jesus drew his humanity from her, not us. <laughs> but Jesus is unfallen humanity attached to the perfection of and holiness of his own deity. So he is this person who is able to bear, what does John the Baptist say? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When Jesus was on the cross, all of God's wrath due to us was poured out on him. And Jesus said from the cross, it is finished. It is paid in full. To Tetelestai. That's the marketplace term for paid in full. That's the Roman court system term for paid in full. Your, all of your crimes against the emperor have been paid off. Here's the papyrus that says paid in full across your list of your crimes that you were convicted of. You can take it home and nail it to your front door so that your neighbors cannot come and up and say, oh, that guy, Tom, he's supposed to be in the salt mines. Tom can take him to his door and say, see, paid in full, go away. Hail your paper somewhere else. We can do that, paid in full. We stand once we, when we abandon by the help of God's Holy Spirit, when we abandon our self-righteousness in favor of Christ's work for us on the cross, we are welcomed into his glad embrace. We are completely more than forgiven, more than the debt wiped clean. Jesus' own righteousness is attached to our account. And we have the same glad welcome before our redeeming God as God the Son in His righteousness. Folks, that is a beyond, that's a mind-blowing reality. That's why it's called gospel, good news. That's good news. But we also have a second problem. The guilt of the issue of the guilt of our sin completely resolved by what Jesus accomplished on the cross. We simply accept that benefit and it has an eternal outcome. But I, we also discover quickly after coming into that relationship with God, we are still indwelled by a fallen nature. 
we live in the world system we live in a in a hostile environment and we have an active enemy by the name of satan and all of the fallen angels who joined him in his rebellion against god we live in a hostile environment both internally an internal devil's advocate and a hostile environment paul has addressed he is stepping away from addressing the issue of the guilt of our sin before God into how do I deal with my fallen nature? And he is addressing that issue. He's moving here into in chapter 6. What shall we say then? You redeemed ones who live in this hostile environment who are still indwelt by this fallen nature. This sinful nature, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Hey, God has said he'll forgive every sin I ever commit. So, hey, let's all just be happy with that and move along. No, that, that's not the next step. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace? Hey, God, we're actually, God's grace is going to be all over the place. What could be more delighting to God than to be able to pour out more and more and more and more and more forgiveness? How about if we not need that as cons we're always going to need it, but we should actually be seeking to serve our God so that he doesn't have to forgive. We don't have more sins to forgive. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who had died to sin live any longer in it? And the Romans, as this was read to them in their congregations, are going, what, 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 what? Who died to sin? Who died to sin? I still got this fallen nature. Who died to Death comes when sin's power is broken. The fallen nature doesn't go away, but it doesn't have the authority in your person that it once had. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? You don't. Good news, folks. We don't have to obey our fallen sinful nature anymore. God has made the provision that we don't have to obey our old self. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Now, I'm going to lay out the two major viewpoints on this passage. Now, I was discipled, and I, if somebody asked me, okay, what's your basic orientation, Mark, of all the denominations and formats that we see in the various denominations, I would say, well, I'm pretty much a Baptist. I'm pretty much a Baptist. I was baptized by immersion when I was 19 years old. Now, I had been baptized as an infant, too, but I got baptized by immersion when I was 19 years old. That's not what Paul is talking about. He's not talking about what baptism looks like. He's talking about taking a public stand for Christ. 
There are two basic views on this passage. One that I would say is the standard Baptist view. Hey, immersion baptism, it looks like a death, burial, and resurrection. Okay. You know, I really don't have a problem with that, but that's not what Paul's talking about. And by the way, the format for baptism in the book of Leviticus. Where did baptism start? It didn't start with John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a Levitical priest. And when he went to the people of Israel proclaiming the kingdom of God is coming, the kingdom of those people who were educated in the Old Testament prophets knew that means God is going to come here. He's going to judge the nation. He's going to cleanse the Jewish population of its rebels. And he's going to usher those who are truly loyal trusters into his kingdom glory. And I, John the Baptist, a Levitical priest, am going am using this ritual from the book of Leviticus in the temple, in the tabernacle, and later the temple, they had what was called the mikvah. The mikvah was a big tub that you stepped down into and you were baptized. If you touched a carcass, you were ritually unclean. And they had that ritual of this cleansing. By the way, the water in that mikvah had to be live water. It had to have come from a flowing stream or river. It couldn't be from a stagnant pond. It had to be And John the Baptist, or you could do that same ritual in a river or stream. John the Baptist is out there preaching to the people of Israel. The kingdom of heaven is coming. The kingdom of God is coming. And you all know that means judgment is on the way where he will separate the sheep from the goats. You need to take a public stand with me, John the Baptist, and my message that Messiah is coming. I am the herald of the Messiah the anointed of God, the anointed king God is sending who will carry all this out. You need to get in line and step with him before he comes in the door. Repent. Change your orientation. Change your outlook. That's what repent means. Change your orientation. Get right with God as he discloses himself in the Hebrew Scriptures, and you find God's mercy, you find his grace, you find his redeeming work all over the Hebrew Scriptures. Get in step with him. Messiah is coming. Messiah is coming. That great son of David. And a lot of people listened, and they got baptized by John the Baptist or his disciples. And later when Jesus, who was the fulfillment of what John had been saying, he was the one John was heralding, Jesus' disciples, now we're told in John 3, Jesus never disciple, never baptized anybody, but his disciples did. His disciples did. This was a ritual that was a public declaration by the one going through the ritual that I have stepped, I'm stepping in line with the coming Messiah. I'm stepping in line with him. And what did John the Baptist say? To his disciples, he's already baptized Jesus. He saw the Holy Spirit descend upon Jesus in the form of a dove. 
That was the Holy Spirit. That was actually the anointing of Jesus as Messiah. And God the Father spoke from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. There is no fault in him at all. Jesus could say without turning red, which of you accuses me of sin? He could say, he who has seen me has seen the Father. There is no moral distinction between my righteousness and the righteousness of God the Father. And the self-righteous Pharisees blew their stacks. But Jesus could say to them, his worst enemies, which of you accuses me of sin? And they could name nothing. And when we come to faith in Christ, we then take a public stand for him, accompanied by baptism, accompanied by this. He's not emphasizing what the ritual looks like. He's emphasizing the reality. When I take a public stand for Christ, guess what? I'm standing up before my old friends in sin. The guys that I rubbed elbows with at the bar, at the tavern, or whatever format you want to consider, I'm standing before them and I'm declaring that I have, I'm a changed man. I am forgiven by the forgiving God. And I am taking a stand with Jesus Christ before. Now, what's going to happen? What's the. My old pals in sin are going to say, oh, get away from here. Get away from me. Get a, the standard response is rejection. 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 But all of heaven's resources get poured down. Jesus has already said in Matthew chapter 10, speaking to his disciples, if you confess me, my disciples... These are people that have already been walking with him in public ministry. If you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father who is in heaven. Do you want God doing Do you want Jesus doing that? I'll take that. I'll take that. If you, my disciples, deny me before men, if you go and hide, rather than take a public stand for me, I'll deny you before my Father. I'll, you fold your hands for me down here, I'll fold my hands for you up there. You don't take a stand for me down here. I won't take a stand for you. Let me ask you a question. Do you want Jesus getting all of heaven's resources coming to your aid? Yes, you do. Peter is saying the same thing in 1 Peter. By the way, in 2 Peter, Peter says, I've been really studying what God has been saying through that fellow Paul's pen. Some of it's hard to get my mind wrapped around, as are the rest of the scriptures. He's declaring Paul's writings as scripture. I've been studying what Paul has been writing, and some of it I'm having a hard, but in 1 Peter, Peter talks about baptism. In 1 Peter chapter 3, and he says, in the same way that Noah was delivered before the flood, he spoke before the flood for 120 years. Noah and his sons, he's probably hiring a whole lot of local help, 
They spend 120 years building the ark. For 120 years, Noah's telling the people, it's going to rain. What's rain? It's never rained. It had never happened. The, wa the earth was watered with artesian wells. There was no rain. Water's going to come from heaven. It's going to come down upon us. And you better be in this boat that we're building, this ark that we're building, or you have no means of deliverance. And what do you think? Now, he's paying a bunch of these guys to help, but they're at the same time, they're mocking the socks off of him. They're rejecting, rejecting, and rejecting. And Peter points to this. this. The Spirit of Christ was resident upon Noah as he is speaking, and the very cause of his reviling and rejection became his means of deliverance. And then Peter says, in the same way, baptism now saves you. You take a public stand for Christ, and the judgment that falls on the rest of humanity will be the very cause of your rejection becomes the means of your deliverance. In the same way, baptism now saves you. Not the washing of the way of the filth of the flesh, not the part involving the water, but the answer of a good conscience before God. Bob, what in the world gives you the idea that you can declare to the rest of us who know you that you stand welcome before the holy God? How can you declare that your conscience is cleansed? Well, I can declare to you that my conscience is cleansed because of the resurrection of Christ. Hey, guys, we can go to Jerusalem. We can walk up to an empty tomb. That is God's tangible visual proof that what Jesus did on the cross was effective. He got the job done. There is my proof. Not the washing away the filth of the flesh, not the part involving the water, but the public declaration. And by the way, that's just the first time I publicly declare. Every day I am to be opening my mouth about Jesus in my culture, in my environment. And guess what? God pours power, power, power. Heaven's power becomes my resource in dealing with my own fallen nature. I suddenly am able to stiff arm behavior and mental patterns that had afflicted me and held me captive before. Heaven's resources are now mine. In addition, I'm indwelled by the Holy Spirit who supplies me with that spiritual and And those are the two things in Romans that Paul points us to. All of heaven's resources come to me because of my public stand for Christ. And most shocking of all, I'm indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Baptism now saves you. We were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the <coughs> dead to what? Dead to my culture. Dead to this, my old pals and sin. Dead to my former conduct. We were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. The resurrection power of Jesus 
becomes my resource. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, which is what happens when we take a public stand for him, we get rejected, we get rejected. What's the last of the eight Beatitudes? Rejoice when you are rejected for my namesake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, <coughs> for great is your reward in heaven. I will be with you. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, by taking a public stand for him, certainly we also should be in the likeness of his resurrection. His resurrection power becomes my resource. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. Our old man, our old fallen nature, it wasn't removed, but its power was broken. That the body of sin might be done away with it. My standard old sinful behavior would be set aside. That we should no longer be slaves of sin. You know, before you come to faith in Christ, you don't have a choice. You're going to obey your fallen sinful nature. Now that manifests itself in people in very different ways. They can be out there doing drugs, getting drunk. Or they can be walking in pride. They can be walking. Oh, man. There's all kinds of manifestations of this. But it's all the resource of all of it within us is that fallen nature. For he who has died has been freed from sin. This was really, this is John the Apostle. All of the apostles were martyred, including John the, ba John the Apostle, except that it didn't work with John the Apostle. They literally threw John the Apostle in a big vat of boiling oil. This was going to be the form of his execution. But it didn't kill him. And so they, he, his carcass comes out of that boiling oil. I mean, he's covered. He's absolutely experienced some bad stuff, But he didn't die. And the Roman governor's like, well, we carried out the sentence. <laughs> Now we're going to send them off to the, we're going to, well, okay, we'll send them out to this uh, island called Patmos. They carried out the sentence. They couldn't, once they had carried out the sentence, they carried out, they, if, if the fact that he didn't die, that's our fault. The same thing is true for us. In Christ, we were put to death. The sentence has been carried out. We are now free. The authority of the law has been satisfied was all poured out on Jesus on the cross and we get to walk free we get the pardon for he who has died has been freed from sin the sentence been carried out but it was carried out on Jesus on the cross instead of me he's my substitute now if we died with Christ we believe that we shall also live with him he was raised we get to walk in the newness of life, in the resurrection power of our Lord Jesus. Then the Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. 
likewise you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin yes god is a texan <laughs> reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin account yourselves to be dead indeed to sin but alive to god in christ jesus our lord i don't have to obey my fallen nature anymore do i have a fallen nature yeah i do but i don't have to obey it anymore in the same way that when the penalty was carried out on the Apostle John, oh, well, he survived <laughs> what I condemned him to. That's it. Verse 12, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. You don't owe obedience to your fallen nature anymore. Don't let it tell you what to do. Its authority has been broken. You are indwelled by God, the Holy Spirit. You have him as a resource. And Jesus is your defense attorney. He is your intercessor in heaven, all of heaven's resources. And God always says yes to the Son. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead. I don't have to do the things that my fallen nature is prompting me to do. I don't have to do it, and I don't have to present myself as the servant of my fallen nature anymore. It's lost its authority. Its authority has been broken. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead in the same way that Jesus came out of that tomb and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Lord, you can use me in a way that brings glory to you. For sin shall not have dominion over you. Its authority has been broken. For you are not under law, but under grace. You are not walking in just these commands. Do this, don't do that, don't it. No, all of heaven's resources are now yours. And the, and the authority of your sinful nature has been broken. You can now walk with God in his provision and under his guidance. And my plan was to go through this entire chapter. But as uh, I will be merciful to you and but we will now celebrate what is the foundation what is the what is the reality that makes everything that paul said here in romans 6 real for us it is what our lord jesus accomplished for us on the cross this is my body he is the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world he is sinless this is my body broken for you. The matzah cracker, this unleavened leaven in the Old Testament era was used as a metaphor for sin. The unleavened, this is a matzah cracker. It's not leavened. This, this bread is my body broken for you. It's a cracker. It's not a loaf. This is my body broken for you. Why did that happen by... 
because the Jews had to get out of Egypt so fast they didn't have the time the bread didn't have time to rise so they just baked it before it had risen and brought it with them this is my body broken for you this is the standard uh, Passover meal this is my body broken for you this cup is the new covenant in my blood that cup by the way it was always at the Passover meal there was always a cup filled with wine that was left untouched it was a it was a reclining couch or a chair at the table that was had no one reclining at or no no one seated in that chair that was called the Elijah there they know Elijah's coming so we're gonna we're gonna have a place here at the table for Elijah if he happens to come <laughs> Elijah never died Elijah was caught up into heaven and the whirlwind accompanied by a chariot and he's coming back we're told in the by the prophet Malachi he's coming back so they had a cup there that still had the wine in it at the conclusion of the meal Jesus takes that Elijah cup this cup is the new covenant in my blood Jeremiah 31 600 years before I'm gonna make a God says I'm gonna make a new covenant with you I will I will I will your sins and iniquities remember no more and Jesus is saying I'm initiating this new covenant that declares the forgiveness the basis of the forgiveness of your sins I'm going to invite these two fine fellows mr. Bob Barrett and mr. Jim Rittman to come and join me here